We are doing a sermon series on the book of Psalms. And one of the things I appreciate about the book of Psalms is they address every one of the human emotions that we experience in this fallen, broken world. Whether it's grief, as Brienne has articulated, of the death of loved ones in her life, whether it's joy, whether it's doubt, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, the Psalms address, they touch on every aspect of our lives. And today we're going to look at that. We're going to look at, as we talked about last week, a God-centered worldview. We want to look at the world the way that God sees the world, the way that God wants us to see the world through the lens of Scripture. And so the book of Psalms helps us with this, and, and really all of the Bible does. And so I've titled this message, I didn't want to take a God-centered worldview because I used that last week. So I've changed it up just a little bit instead of doing part two. A God-centered perspective on life is the title of the message today. And we are looking at Psalm chapter 127. This psalm is attributed to King Solomon in this, um, the little scripture there at the very beginning mentions of Solomon. And this, this is likely that he wrote that or it's possible that it was written for him and given to him. Um, um, but it, it says his name nevertheless. And so we hear within this psalm a perspective of wisdom. He was considered one of the wisest people that ever walked the earth. And if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes that gives a perspective on life, you, you get that as you read this here in Psalm 127. You get a perspective on life about work. You get a perspective on life about rest. You get a perspective on life about family. And those are things that are very core to our lives, very important in our lives. Uh, let me just ask, how many of you all have struggled in work in the last couple of years? You've had some difficulty in work, all right? We know that, that work is a good thing that God created for mankind and gave to mankind before the fall. But after the fall, there became some difficulty and toil with it, according to Genesis chapter 3. How about rest? How many of you all rest well let me let me just read some some stats to you um and are you a person who falls falls asleep once you lay your head down on your pillow or do you lay your bed thinking for hours about your life and family and work and health and finances and future and dreams and fears or regrets or do you wake up in the middle of the night and then not have the ability to go back to sleep losing sleep can be frustrating especially when your job is demanding and requires every bit of mental, physical, and spiritual strength. So here are some stats from the American Sleep Association regarding sleep disorders. 50 to 70 million U.S. adults have a sleep disorder. 37.9 are reported unintentionally falling asleep during the day at least once in the preceding month. Drowsy driving is responsible for 1,550 fatalities and 40,000 non-fatal injuries annually in the United States. Insomnia is the most common 
specific sleep disorder with short-term issues reported by about 30% of adults and chronic insomnia by 10%. And 25 million U.S. adults have obstructive sleep apnea. Can you see here that we have a problem in the U.S. with getting sleep that God has intended for us to get? These stats point to a problem that we have in balancing our lives and managing our work and rest lives and our family lives. It's recommended by the American Sleep Association that you get, that if you're an adult, you get about seven to nine hours of sleep a, a night. How many of y'all get at least seven a night? Anybody? Okay, just a few hands. All right. Teenagers are recommended eight to ten hours of sleep per night. Children, 6 to 12-year-olds, are rec recommended 9 to 12 hours of sleep. Children, 3 to 5, 10 to 13 hours. Ch a child, 1 to 2 years old, is recommended 11 to 14 hours, including naps. Infants, 4 months to 12 months, 12 to 16 hours, including naps. And so what we see in this psalm is a promise sandwiched in between a statement about work and a statement about family. There's this powerful verse that says God gives his beloved sleep. Or as some translations say, he gives to his beloved even in their sleep. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Psalm 127. Let's look at this together and let's get a God-centered perspective on life. As we view our work, as we view our rest, as we view our family, let's get God's perspective on it and allow our minds to be renewed in what he says about our lives. If you all would stand with me and let's read together from Psalm 127 verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver, who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So here's our big idea. Our big idea is simply this, that God is to be the center of our lives, and when we try to exclude him in our work and family, life becomes restless, meaningless, and vain, and unpleasant. God is to be the center of our lives, and when we try to exclude him in our work or family, or li our life becomes restless and meaningless and vain and unpleasant. Pleasant. I have a little chart up here with, with God as the center, and here's some other aspects of our life, such as family and ministry and rest and friendships and exercise, and recreation, hobbies and entertainment. What does that chart look like for you as you take a look at your life? 
Where, where's the top pride? Where do, the, where, all, where do all those things fit in? We have so many aspects of our life that we're, we're trying to juggle and we're trying to manage so that we can live well in this life. And the scripture helps us. God's spirit helps us. We don't have to figure this out all by ourselves. God wants to help us. It was St. Augustine who said, Thou has made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. God Almighty has created us to be in a covenant relationship with him, to know him, to walk with him, to abide in him, to commune with him, to depend upon him. And when we try to exclude him from the picture, life becomes difficult, it becomes unpleasant, and our work becomes Vain. Let's look at this first verse here. It says, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. By the way, seven and a half years ago at City Church International, we gathered a, a group of adults, about 30 of us, in, in uh, 2016, January of 2016, and we started to gather together to discuss plans for starting this church here city church garland if you were here in that meeting in those first meetings raise your hand we have several who were part of that look around you see those who were here from the beginning um and and the very first message very first text that we talked about when we gathered to meet to discuss the possibility of starting a church right here was psalm 127 and we focused in on this reality that unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. And, and, I, and, I, and I highlighted Moses' prayer to the Lord. When, when the Lord was leading him and the Israelites through the wilderness, he said, Lord, if you don't go, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us out. We are a people who need the presence of God, who need the help of God, who need the protection of God, the provision of God. And we would all do well to recognize our great need for him. We need him. We need his wisdom. We need his strength. We need his guidance. And we, we also postured ourselves like Isaiah did in Isaiah 6 saying, Lord, here am I, send me, right? Lord, if you're not sending us out, if you're not going with us, don't, don't send us, but, but here we are, send me. This should be the posture of every Christian, giving ourselves to God, to the will of God. What does he want for my life? What is God calling me to do? What is God doing, and how can I participate in the work that he is doing? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. Yes, our faithful and diligent work is necessary, but it is not the decisive factor for success or lasting results. This, this, this psalm is not teaching us to be passive, to just to not do anything at all, but it is highlighting the central importance of God and his place in all of our lives, including our work. Amen? How many, how many of y'all have ever 
put together something that probably parents, you know what I'm talking about here. You got some toys or some furniture and maybe something from Ikea. And, and you know, there's a tendency that I have, like, I, I'm like, I can, I've done this before. I can do it. I don't need the instructions, right? So how many of y'all have put together something before, trying to figure it out without really looking at the instructions closely, and then you get to where you think it should be done, and you realize you missed a step, and so you got to go all the way back to the beginning, and you feel that frustration, like all that time and energy and frustration didn't, didn't help out at all. Anybody, am I the only one who, who has experienced that? Maybe, or maybe, some, maybe in, in the area of work, maybe you, you did some work at your job and, and you, you invested a lot of work into this one particular project and then the project didn't even get used and you just felt like, okay, got a, one, one hand raised, all right, anybody else? Right. This is a part of living in a fallen, broken world, a post-Genesis 3 world. Work becomes toilsome and difficult and wearisome. But here's the deal. We're not meant to labor apart from God. You see, we need God's strength, God's guidance, God's wisdom. And unless he's involved, unless he's central, then what we're doing is going to be proved to be in vain. Eugene Peterson says this, that Psalm 127 shows us both the right and the wrong way to work. It posts a warning and provides an example to guide Christians in work that's done to the glory of God. It shows a way to work that is neither sheer activity nor passivity. It doesn't glorify work, but it doesn't condemn it either. It doesn't say, God has done a work for you to do, so, so go do it. Nor does it say, God has a work, it doesn't say God has a work for you to do, so go do it. Nor does it say God has done everything, so go fishing. Our work goes wrong when we lose touch with the God who works. Okay? This verse highlights that God is at work in the world unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord watches over the city, our God is alive, and he is at work in the world, whether we see it or not, whether our view of the world is, it seems, it excludes God's activity, God is still at work in the world, all right? Eugene Peterson goes on and he says that Psalm 127 insists on a perspective in which our work is at the perimeter, and God's work is at the center. As long as he is at the center, our universe will run well. But the moment we put ourselves at the center, the orbits of everything around us are set on a collision course. So here's a couple of biblical examples of labor that was in vain. How about the Tower of Babel? Okay, and I mentioned this last week with technology. Mentioned Noah, who labored for about 120 years to build, a, build an ark. And thankfully, that labor was not in vain. Him and his family were, were rescued from the judgment, global judgment. But then we see in Genesis chapter 11, we see this, this labor that's done that excludes God. Not only excludes God and his directives, but it's labor that's done in, in, in defiance of God. And so God brought confusion 
and, 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 and confused the languages, and, and, and they spread out, and, and their work proved to be in vain. How about the scribes and the Pharisees who plotted to, to kill Jesus, to stop Jesus, and to stop this Christian movement in the first century? They tried, they, they tried to stop Jesus from spreading his message. They tried to stop his disciples from spreading their message, all right? And when Peter prayed in response to the threats and, and, and them trying to stop them spreading the message, he prayed from Psalm 2, which says, Why do the peoples plot things in vain? And the kings and the rulers set themselves up against the Lord, all right, or against his anointed. And he prayed from that. And though the church experienced opposition and persecution, God was building the house. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. God is at work in his people, even in the midst of the most difficult times, the most dark and difficult times of persecution and opposition, God is still at work in the world. How about in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells about two different builders. Okay, there was a wise builder and a foolish builder. The wise man heard the words of Jesus. Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine... And he obeys them as like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And when the storm comes and beats up against that house, it stands. Okay? But the foolish man, the, the man who hears my words and he disobeys them is like a, a foolish man who builds, he builds, he does build, but his labor proves to be in vain. He builds on the sand and when the storms come and beat up against that house, it doesn't stand. And it seems like as humanity, we can do a lot of activity that excludes God from the picture. We can, we can you know, God ultimately is the one who gives us breath and life, and in, in him we live and move, and he allows us to do a lot of things. But ultimately, if, if those things aren't done in him and for his glory and for the good of others, they're going to prove to be vain. Derek Kinder, the, the theologian, commentates on this. He says, it is not simply that our projects will fail. There is at least bread to show for them, but they lead to nowhere. The house and the city may survive, but were they worth building? Were they worth building? Tim Keller, in his book, and I commend this book to you on work, he, it's called Every Good Endeavor, Connecting connecting God's work, our faith with God's work, or God's work with our faith. He says that work is not all there is to life. You will not, you will not have a meaningful life without work, but you cannot say that your work is the meaning of your life. If you make any work the purpose of your life, even that work, even that, that work that is church ministry, you create an idol that rivals God. Your relationship with God is the most important foundation of your life, and indeed it keeps all the other factors, work, friendships, and family, leisure, and pleasure from becoming so important that they become addicting and distorted. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches the city, those who watch it, watch in vain. And let's look at verse 2 here. In verse 2, 
He says that it's vain to rise up early and to go late to rest, to go, go, go late to rest. Um, uh, the, the message says it's useless to rise early and go to bed late, to work your wearied fingers to the bone. Don't you know he enjoys giving rest to those he loves? He enjoys giving rest to those he loves. Now, this, this verse is very, it, it's dear to me because as my wife and I started having children, we discovered that sleep became more difficult to experience. Any, any other parents know what I'm talking about? Especially when you got not just one, but two, and especially when you got sick children. You know, and I love that this verse is stated in the context of work and family, right? Right there in the middle of it. There's a sweet spot. There's a place of rest that God gives to his beloved for you and I to enter into. And the tendency we have, the temptation that we have when, when times are tough is to work ourselves anxiously to eat the bread of sorrows, as, he, as the psalmist, as Solomon describes. He says, for he gives to his, he gives his beloved sleep. Now, this can also be translated as a couple translators have translated this verse. He gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Okay? God gives to his beloved even in our sleep. Like he's working even when we're asleep. And he graciously gives us the gift of sleep. And, and the fact that we need sleep as humanity... And the, the, the American Sleep Association says we need about seven to nine hours a night, right? The fact that we need sleep is a reminder to us that one-third of our life is spent sleeping doing nothing. It's a reminder to us that life is a gift, that God is sovereign, and he's ruling the world without our work to hold it up. He doesn't need you or me to hold the world up for him. He's sovereign. He's, he's in charge. He's in control. And so therefore, we can rest. We can rest knowing that the Almighty is for us. That the sovereign king of the universe is for us. That he uses his authority and his power to protect his beloved. To, to work in and through and for his beloved. And we can rest in that. We can rest in the Father's love for us. If the, you know, some theologians think that this is referring to Solomon, described as, as the beloved, perhaps. But the New Testament surely describes the saints as the beloved children of God. We truly are loved of God and there truly is a place of rest in Christ for you and for me. And so we don't have to allow ourselves to be driven by anxiety to just work, 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 work. Like the Israelites who had the taskmaster Pharaoh driving them to work and they couldn't even take one day, one day a week to rest. After God delivered his people out of Egypt, he said, I want you to take one day of rest. Remember the Sabbath. 
to keep it holy. Have one day a week in your rhythm of life that you set aside to rest, to reflect, to worship, to enjoy the gift of life. I mean, what good is it if we just work ourselves, work ourselves to death, we work ourselves and, and lose our health and lose our sleep and our, and our family relationships and friendships just disintegrate and fall apart because there's no time for them. What good is it to just give ourselves so much and overwork, all right, and then not even be able to enjoy those things that we think we're working for, Okay. That's, that's, what Sol, that's the perspective that Solomon gives in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and chapter 5. God not only gives us work to do and the ability to do it, but he gives us the ability to enjoy the fruit of our labor. And so it's good to rest. I mean, think about this. Jesus took naps and Jesus took rest. He went to sleep. As God, the son of God who became man, he clothed himself with humanity. He stepped into this world. He got rest, okay? There's, there's, a, there's an instance in, in Mark chapter 4 where him and his disciples had been ministering to the crowds. They had been, he'd been preaching and healing and doing all the ministry. And Jesus was physically tired, and they were in a boat, right? And there was a storm, and the disciples were just... They were freaking out. They were like, what's going on? Jesus, why are you asleep right now? Like, wake up. Do you not realize what's happening, right? And he's just at rest. He's sleeping. He is just sleeping, enjoying the gift of sleep, all right? He's just taking a rest, right? And, and he gets up, and he speaks to the storm. I love that we did this song this morning. Thank you, Kevin and um, Michaela. Peace be still. He gets up, and he speaks to the storm. He says, shalom, peace. Peace be still, right? And the storm just is calmed. And, and the disciples were amazed that even the winds and the waves obey him. They were standing before the Almighty, the Creator, God in the flesh, the one who had authority uh, who, over the winds and the waves, and they marveled. Perhaps some of us need Jesus to speak to the storm within our hearts and in our minds. We have busy hearts and busy minds. We're like Martha. Jesus said, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. But there's just one that's needed. Just, just sit down and rest, right? Enjoy. Um, and Mary did that. So he gives his beloved sleep. We see the blessing of God upon our work. We see the blessing of God upon our rest that he has for each of us. There are a number of things that keep us from rest. Here, here's just a few of them. Uh, one, one, as mentioned in this psalm, fear and anxiety. We're just anxious, anxious. So we allow ourselves to be overworked. We're going to figure it out, and we, we worry, right? We meditate on the negative instead of meditating on the promises of God and, and the word of God. We, we, we just focus on the fear and the anxiety, and we allow ourselves to be driven to overwork, and we're not trusting God, and, and we're in pride trying to independently make things happen as if, as, as if we're living as functional atheists. God forbid that Christians, that we should live like that. We have a Father who loves us and cares for us. 
He provides for the birds and he clothes the, flower, the flowers of the field. Don't be anxious about your life, Jesus said. Okay? What good does it do to be anxious about your life, to, to fret, to worry, to allow it to affect your emotional and physical health, to, to put stress on your relationships? What good does it do to, dis, to diminish the enjoyment of, of the gift of, that, that you have right now in life? So pride, selfish ambition, relational strife, unforgiveness, materialism and greed rather than contentment, a noisy environment. Just people can be noisy, can't they? I know I can be noisy. I am noisy. I have to learn to be quiet so I can hear God's still small voice and allow my soul to be refreshed and restored. Spiritual warfare. There is a spiritual battle going on around us, right? There is a battle going on, even with our flesh and in our spirit. You know, we have to put our flesh in check. We can't allow our sinful nature to dominate in our lives. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of, um, let me go back here, Psalm 131, 1, 1 through 3. He says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with, his, with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Right? We, we have this tendency to have the, a busy soul. It's screaming, I want this, I want that, or I got to do something about this, got to do something about that. And Jesus is like, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. My yoke is easy and my, my burden is light, and in it you will find rest for your soul. I mean, think about the fact that Jesus says, hey, come take my yoke. That implies that there's some work to be done, right? Jesus doesn't call us to, to a life of passivity, Right? We're, the Bible says we're to work six days and rest on one. Right? Like the Bible has, God has designed us for work. He's made us as image bearers to reflect him who works. Right? And, and, and yet Jesus, Jesus says, come and take my yoke. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. In it you will find rest for your souls. You see, Jesus does the heavy lifting. When we're in an abiding relationship with him, he does what we can't do in and of ourselves. We wear ourselves out when we try to do something that God hasn't called us to do, or when we try to do what God's called us to do in our own strength, leaning on our own understanding, right? And so he calls us to come to him, to abide in him. He gives his beloved sleep. Here are some reasons that we can rest. God gives sleep as a gift. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is go take a nap and just go to bed. Get off the screen and just go to bed. Just rest. Enjoy your rest as a gift from God. That's what Jesus did in, in the boat, right? At that moment, that was the very best thing. Right in the middle of God's will, he was taking a nap. He wasn't neglecting his responsibilities. He was being a faithful son and he was resting 
in that moment. God loves us and graciously takes care of us so we can rest. God's going to take care of us. If he's taking care of the birds, he's taking, the care, he's taking care of the flowers. God is sovereignly governing the universe in our lives. He doesn't need our help to hold the world up. And God has warned us about the vanity of overworking. God has informed us about the futility of working. I mean, who can, who can better their life who can better their life by worrying? Who can change anything positively in your life by worrying? Let's, let's change the circumstance. Let's worry about it. I mean, it's, it's silly, but we do it, right? We have this, this internal struggle going on inside of us. God has redeemed us and declared us forgiven by the finished work of Christ. You see, the gospel... The gospel of Jesus Christ affects our view of work, and it provides a place of rest for us so that we don't work ourselves to death, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ declares that we are redeemed, we are forgiven, and we don't have to, and we can't work our way to a right relationship with God. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith, and this frustrates the religious proud, the legalist that's trying to work their way to God's favor. He gives his beloved sleep. Let's go to the next blessing that God gives. In chapter 127, starting in verse 3, it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So here at City Church, we love children and we value children. And some of our families have lots of children, right? Be fruitful and multiply, right? Go make disciples, right? Have children. Because the Bible describes children in this text and other places not as a burden, okay? It describes children as a blessing that comes from the Lord. Okay? It doesn't describe them as an achievement. It describes them as a gift from God. God gives children as a gift. That means that none of us are an accident, even if our parents did not plan for our lives. We're not an accident. right? God is the author of life. He opens the womb and he closes the womb. And there's many people who, who plan to have children and, and can't have children because God has closed the womb. Right? There's many, there's many who've tried to stop from having children and they, they have children. God opens the womb. It's a blessing. And he reserves that right as the author of life, the giver and the sustainer of life. And we should receive these precious lives as gifts from his hand. Children are a heritage from the Lord. They're from the Lord. 
all right? And, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. They're like arrows in the hand of a warrior, okay? Think about arrows. Warriors had, somebody had to make arrows, right? Possibly the warrior or whoever made it. But they have to be shaped. They have to be, they have to be guided, right? They have to be shaped. They have to be guided. And at some point, they, they have to be released, right? We've got to let go. Like, there's a point when our kids grow up. They, we've, we've done our part. We've shaped them. We've trained them. We've invested our lives in them. We've directed them. And then we're, we release them to God's calling on their life. And we want them to follow God. We want them to know the truth of Psalm 127, 1, that unless the Lord builds the house... Those who labor, labor in vain. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. I think a quiver uh, is, is about three to five. Some of y'all have exceeded that. That's great. I, I told my wife when we first, when we were dating and, and talking about the possibility of marriage, I told her I want 12, <laughs> Right? We, and she didn't want that many. She was like, oh, maybe three, four. So we had to kind of meet, meet, you know, meet in the middle, right? Um, and thankfully, most of, most of the time, they, they come one at a time, actually, for, except for some, some who are blessed with a double portion, a double blessing at once. And they're, they're a blessing. They're a gift from God. You know, when, when, when Jesus was ministering, there was a time when the disciples didn't, we're trying to keep the children back, right? And Jesus did not like that. He didn't like how they viewed children, right? So Jesus says, hey, don't forbid them. Let them come, right? There we see, we see the heart of God through Jesus. We see in that moment towards children, let them, let them come. And what did he do? He blessed them, Right? So children are a blessing from the Lord, and we should, import, as parents, we should, we, should, we should see them as a gift from God, and we should see the time that we have with them as a stewardship, because they grow up so fast, don't they? Those of you who have grown children, they grow up so fast, and so we don't want to waste the moments. We don't want to waste the opportunities. Charles Spurgeon said this about this text. He says that the great Napoleon, with all his sinful care on this point, could not create a dynasty. Hundreds of wealthy persons would give half their estates if they could hear the cry of a baby born of their own bodies. Children are a heritage which Jehovah himself must give or a man will die childless and thus his house will be unbuilt. Children are a blessing from the Lord. They're a gift and a stewardship. So parents are charged, or they're exhorted in Scripture to diligently teach their children God's ways, right? Deuteronomy 6, through Moses, God, God said, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he said that you, will, you shall teach these commands to your children, Teach them as you, as you walk along the way, as you lie down. You shall diligently teach them to your children. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul exhorted fathers not to provoke their children, but to bring them up in the discipline 
and the instruction of the Lord. All right? Fathers are to take the lead in this and bringing up our children and the ways of the Lord. And let me just ask, dads, what's your plan for discipleship for your children? What's your plan to shape them and direct them and then send them out? Have you thought about that long, like down the road? Like at some point, you're going to be letting them go into what God has for them in life. What's your plan when, when, they, when you get to that point? You don't, you don't want to get to that point and be like, oh, man, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I didn't prepare them enough. You want to prepare them now while you got them under your roof. Love them and provide a place of grace, a, a place of truth where you can saturate them with the love of God and saturate them with the truth of Scripture and give them a strong foundation, a biblical worldview so that when they're sent out into the world and wherever God takes them in their calling in life, that they won't get knocked around by everyone else's opinion and everyone else's beliefs. That they would be men and women of conviction, men and women of character, men and women who will stand. Lest the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain who build it. And so we want to take family discipleship seriously here. Let me close in a couple points of application. I went over last week, so I'm going to finish early this week, Lord willing, okay? So first thing, begin your day with prayer and invite God into your work, okay? Because unless he builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless he guards the city, the watchmen watch in vain, right? Depend upon God. Acknowledge your need for him. Invite him in. Ask him for direction. Spend time with him. Abide with him. We don't have to figure out life and work and family and everything by ourselves. We have a helper. We have a redeemer. We have a father. We have a savior. We have the body of Christ as well. We need to learn to say help. Help to God. And we need to learn to say help to those that God's put us with in community. And then evaluate your work. Take a good look at your work and what you're doing. How are you doing it? Are you, are you worn out? Are you stressed out? Are you anxious? Are you, are you doing what God's called you to do even? Right? We're, we're created. God's made us to work, to, to be involved in meaningful work. And those who don't have it, it affects them emotionally, relationally, spiritually. It affects our lives when we're not doing meaningful work. Depression sits in, discouragement, disorientation. God, God has created us to work, but not to overwork, not to be driven by anxious toil. Are you doing your work with God's strength and God's wisdom? Or are you leaning on your own understanding? And are you doing the work in, in, in that he's given you to do with the strength that he's given you to do it in? Right, the Bible tells us to do that in regards to spiritual gifts. That we're to, if whoever serves, serve in the strength that God supplies. Whatever God calls us to, He gives us the strength to do. Right, whatever His vision is for our lives, He gives us the provision for that. Amen. And so, next, receive sleep as a gift from God, and aim to get enough of it. Right. 
Aim to get enough of it. This will help you emotionally if you get enough rest, right? This, this will help you just, just have a healthier rhythms in life. I mean, physically, it affects your body, too, when you don't get enough rest. I know I, I tend to be more vulnerable to sickness if I'm not getting enough rest. I tend to be more irritable if I'm not getting enough rest. And if I'm, if I'm pushing it day to day, I'm pushing day to day, I, I, I come to a point where I realize, like, it should not be like this. Life is not supposed to be like this. I'm not supposed to be driven so much, right? There's a place of rest for his beloved. Resist anxious thoughts with biblical promises, right? We are commanded in Scripture, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious about your life. But all things by prayer and supplication. We, we need to pray, and we need to pray God's word. We need to renew our minds with God's word and, and, and address those anxieties that are being stirred up in our hearts and our minds. And lastly, let me, let me ask, what is your plan for family discipleship? How are you going to bring up your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord? Here's, here's an assignment, parents. Write out a paragraph of your plan for teaching your children the ways of the Lord. What's your plan? To train your children. Now, this might encourage many of you. This will probably encourage many of you. As you write it out, you're like, man, we got this going on. We got this going on. We, we got a plan. We just need to write it out. Now, may, you may have already written it out, right? You may be very encouraged by that. Some of you may be like, well, I don't really have a plan. I don't know what to do. I need some help, right? Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand. But if, if that's you, we want to know. We want to help. I want to come alongside. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you and help you get a plan for training up your children in God's ways. And let me just say this, by the way. Those of you who serve in shine and little lights, like big thanks to you. Thank you for the sacrifice you make here at City Church Garland to influence our young people with the truth of Scripture, with the love of Christ, because you see the value in these little lives who are made in the image of God, and they are going to be adults one day. And we may marvel at how God uses these little people that God's entrusted to us. Amen? I know, I know there's, a, there's a few people I've seen recently that I used to go to church with when they were little. And they're like, there's some, just some really cool stuff that God has them doing in life. You know, and it's just fun to see them having grown into the man and the women, the men and women that God's called them to be. 